This is episode number 341, How to Live in the Moment, with Emilio Diaz Barroso. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our most recent program called Curiosity, the Key to Rewriting Your Story. What this is, is a five-week course that we've been developing over the past six years after working with people from all over the world in helping them rewrite different parts of their story. The story of their past, the story of their present, the story of their future, the story of what they want to be and who they want to become. If you feel like this program resonates with you and you are looking to rewrite different parts of your personal narrative, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. Now, let's get back to the show. So I know you and I were talking about this question that I posed to you at the very beginning, and that's what do you do when you're becoming the person that you don't want to be? And you answered it with what I find to be a very interesting answer, and that's feeling the moment. I find it interesting because I remember when I first started to experience this, and I think all of us probably experience it, right? To a degree at some point of our lives, becoming the people that we don't want to be. And you said you feel the moment. I think it's very interesting because in my case, I remember when I would run away from the moment, you know, because it was uncomfortable. It's something that was challenging. And I'm curious, maybe from your own perspective and your experience, if you could kind of share a little bit, why did you choose to do that instead of going the other way? I don't think I had much of an option at that point I, because I became very proficient at running away from the moment. Most of my life was really oriented around trying to get somewhere else other than right here because I was convinced that if I got somewhere else, then I'd be okay. And particularly when I wasn't very proud of the person that I was being, then I had to get out of that place really quickly. And I noticed I, I did a lot of psychological work, a lot of spiritual work. I spent, I did dozens of silent retreats. I, I was really committed to, to figuring things out. And what I noticed is that most of what I was doing psychologically and otherwise was geared towards trying to avoid the moment. So then finally, kind of like out of exhaustion, I just said, okay, what would it be like to actually be fully here? Even if what was fully here was total self-judgment because I was acting out as an asshole. Forgive the language. 
But then it's like, okay, how does that self-judgment feel like? And I use my body as sort of the, the gateway to this present experience because the mind is very much operating in time in the past and the future. The body is right here. So it's like, okay, what do I feel like right now? And at first it was hard. It's like, what do you mean what I feel? Because I was so mentally oriented. It's like, well, I feel crappy. I feel this. I feel like I, I shouldn't be the person. But those were all fit thoughts. And I was like, no, but how does that feel in the body? And when I started paying attention, I noticed that oftentimes it was almost like a contraction in my belly or a density in the back of my head or in my throat or in my chest. And I just got really curious with what that felt like. Mm. How, do you, how do you interpret those things? How do you interpret the density? The Because I've heard this many times before from other people experience similar things. I I'm sure I experienced them as well. I'm, I'm by no means immune to this, but I'm curious, what is the language that you chose to give to those things? You know, I have three kids. So the, my three kids force me to be incredibly practical and grounded and elementary in my guidance. So no <laughs> concepts, right? So this whole, yeah, feeling it, but it's like, yeah, yeah whatever, dad. What do I like to talk to me in, in terms of how what I can understand? So what I started suggesting, and I've been doing it with myself, is like, what texture does it have? Like if you can actually feel this density in your stomach, for example, where it's where it used to show up most. A lot of people feel it in the solar plexus, but this contraction, this almost like, is, does it have a temperature? Oftentimes it's hot. Is it vibrating? Is it, is it still? Does it have a color? And what we're doing in this exploration by getting curious is we are shifting the paradigm that we were conditioned to operate out of, which is a paradigm of resistance. Curiosity is the opposite of resistance. And I started discovering that all of these things that I was experiencing and I was trying to run away from were uncomfortable because I was resisting them. In and of themselves, they weren't really uncomfortable. They were actually just energy. So when I started exploring, okay, what color is this? And, and anyone that's listening right now, if, if there's anything present for them, if they can really drop in and explore and get really intimate with it, my experience and my kids' experience and a lot of the people that I mentor, they, the, the, the discomfort associated with it starts to sort of soften. There's an allowance for the moment to be as it is. Mm -hmm. I found similar things, I think, through my experience whenever I would get quiet. And meditation has played a big role in my life when it comes to a lot of this. I, I remember the first first time I didn't, I came back and I was like, this is a bunch of BS. There's no way it actually works. And then I started to do it weeks and months. And then I started to really see the clarity that I was able to receive from each moment, as well as the preceding moments. And I, what you just mentioned, as far as being able to sit in the discomfort and also resisting, that was a huge portion of my life. Many, many chapters. Now I, I, I remember those times as if they happened yesterday, resisting the moment, resisting the discomfort, resisting the times where I know there's something to be learned, but then I'm thinking, to my, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the week after. I'll deal with it when the situation comes up again. When the reality of the matter is the situation probably will come up again, but it's never going to come up in the same exact way. So then it becomes harder to articulate, well, is this the same as last time? Is it different? What's different about it? What do I do with it now? So what you're mentioning, I find it very interesting as far as really being able to 
tackle many of these things in the moment in order to start building up that toolkit. It's so fascinating and so multifaceted. In this book that I just wrote, I break it down into physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual freedom. Because we can approach this, what we're talking about from a emotional perspective or physical perspective, where we're really dropping somatically into the body and experiencing the moment directly as it is in the absence of story, right? We can also approach it from a mental perspective where we're like, what, what is the learning here? What misunderstandings that I, did I buy into at some point in my life where now my software, my operating system is running this program that maybe no longer serves, right? And that's another way of approaching. Spiritual freedom is when we recognize that the experience in and of itself is as divine, if that's the word that we choose, as the most blissful experience that we would otherwise perceive as divine. So there's, there's all these different ways of approaching the same mm -hmm. experience. And what I have found is that everything that arises in life is almost like a branch of a tree. And the branches may look different at any given moment, but if we follow them to the trunk, the trunk in most of us, especially in the Western society, tends to be some version of I'm not good enough, some version of unworthiness. Uh, and, and the ramification of unworthiness or not being good enough is being abandoned or wasting our time and ending up alone and despair. So if we follow any one of these branches, most of them, in my experience and the people that I've, that I've supported, lead back to some version of that. Why do you think it's like that? You know, I think there's many reasons. A very obvious one to me is that from an early age, we associate what we do with our value, with our worth. If I behave well, if I get good grades, if I'm kind, if I'm a good person, if I support others, if I know enough, if I create peace in my household, if I, you know, all these things start becoming the conditions we place on our value. We don't know how to distinguish between behavior and self. And we teach our children this unconsciously mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. And then so we grow up and we cycle after cycle. That's right. That's right. And it's, it's really, and that's part of what I speak to in the book is it's just software. And we just need to disrupt ourselves. In the same way that large industries are getting disrupted, our coding is pretty old. And we operate in ways that we still feel that rejection equals death at times. Because our reaction to when someone triggers us is certainly not usually proportional to the thing that's actually happening. And that's why someone's reaction can be so much bigger to the same event than someone else's. Mm. Can you touch upon the point that you briefly just hinted and that's diving within you diving deep into your body without the story what does that mean how did you come to that conclusion i'm because i'm a huge believer in the story i think we tell ourselves stories daily i think there's value in stories it creates meaning purpose clarity blah 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 but at the same time i also see the other side of that where after a while if the story that you're telling yourself is no longer serving you then that's the life you end up creating in simple terms and i'm curious how, what specific techniques, if there are any, what practice do you do to isolate yourself from the story? And how do you know when you are isolated from the story? 
No, that's a great question. I'm I'm gonna venture into a, a world of, of my own inner journey and and I think the most important thing at first is to figure out what the most important thing for anyone is. For me, the most important thing was freedom. And I thought it was happiness, but then I realized how fleeting happiness was. And I said, okay, no, it's gonna be freedom. I wanna and part of my journey was a constant upgrading of my story. The story of myself, the story of those around me, of my environment, of the world. Affirmations play an incredible role in this. What I realized happened with all these different upgraded versions of the story is that there was still an identity to be defended. Different versions of an identity, a sense of self. So when, I was, when my story was, I'm, I'm a great student, I was very much in the identity of defending my grades. And if I didn't get a good grade, I would put myself down. And then eventually it became other versions of that, right? The one that succeeds the most in business, the one that gets the girl, the one that does this, the one that does that, the, the good parent, the good husband, the good... And I could continue upgrading my stories, but I was just still in the business of managing those identities. I think that's incredibly valuable, right? Because better stories make for better people. Better stories create healthier egos. For me, the kind of freedom that I was looking for was one that was beyond the story. One that didn't need my defensiveness or protagonism around a particular story to feel okay. Where I could experience freedom regardless of what was happening. And that there was no story that could fit into that paradigm because every plot, the nature of humanity is that there will be those ups and downs. So how I got to that is I questioned the deepest story. And for me, the deepest story is who am I? And when I truly questioned myself as this, this protagonist of the world, it's almost like I was, I was, I was the character in this book or in this movie. And I've been playing along my role and this character eventually gets better at what he does and he's a better character and so forth. And he's still going after the trophy or whatever it is and he's fighting monsters and he's doing his thing and he's a kinder or better version of himself in this movie. And then eventually there's a recognition of, wait, who is this character? And we can, the analogy of the dream is available. When, when we're dreaming, we're very invested in this character that's going about doing whatever he's doing about. But if you have a moment to question, and meditation is great for this, who is this character that is performing all of this? And then you recognize that you are yourself the dreamer of the dream. It opens the world completely because then you're still the character, but you're not limited to the character. It's almost like you're lucid dreaming. So you're no longer invested in this character doing what it does. It's still important, it's still valuable, it's still fun but it no longer carries the constraints and the stress associated with this story turning out one way or another, because now you know you're the dreamer. Mm. And that's an experience that's available for all of us in waking life. Hmm. How do you, you mentioned freedom. How do you define freedom now? What does that even mean to you at this point? That's a great question because it's taken on so many different uh, definitions for me. My current definition of freedom is life. 
what does that mean? I, I no longer put conditions on what's happening, internally or externally. See, because freedom for me was always conditioned to a particular something. Even if that something was a subtle way of relating to the world outside or inside. Or, but I noticed that that was conditional freedom. I'm going to be free as long as what I want to happen happens. And I'll be free. Because like, can I be free regardless of what's happening? Even when I don't want, when what happens is not what I want to happen. And there's a distinction between, I think the, the, the way to frame it is, it used to be oriented around, I need to be free from things. And the shift is, can I be free to experience things? Mm -hmm. That's really the freedom, right? Mm -hmm. And I think most of us are trained to be free from, free from hurt, free from judgment, free from all the things that we want to avoid. There's a great Zen koan. Koans are these things that Zen uh, tradition uses to, like usually images that elicit a certain uh, curiosity or inquiry. And there's one that has this figure of a person with a stick in their heads. And the front of the stick is the price, whatever that is, the carrot. And in the back of the stick, in the back of the stick is a bag of shit. And we associate freedom with getting the carrot and outrunning the bag of shit. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever that is for each of us. And that changes through life, right? And and it what's crazy about it is that no matter how many times, and we know this, this is cliche, but no matter how many times we get the carrot, it's never enough. We've all gotten there where we thought there was going to be amazing and there passed and there was a new there. The bag of shit though, that's not so cliche because most of us don't address that. That's not common nomenclature to speak of the bag of shit being the thing that we outrun because we, we truly believe that we out, if we outrun it, then we'll be okay. And for me, the bag of shit was disappointment, disappointing others feeling like I wasted my life, uh, feeling things like jealousy or not good enough. And I thought I was free as long as I was such a good runner that I could outrun the bag of shit. That mm. was exhausting. And the freedom that I'm speaking of is the one that is willing to stop running, turn around and let the bag of shit hit me and smear me. And that's where we go into the body. How does it feel to experience unworthiness deeply? That is the equivalent of letting the bag of shit fully be here. Mm -hmm. Something that I, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine, and we, we were talking about rewriting one story. And, and one of the things that I personally believe in is uh, when it comes to overcoming one's odds, I think one of the odds that I've been able to overcome is the odds of invisibility. So different aspects of my identity that I chose to keep invisible. And it's been interesting to explore it, kind of going back to your analogy, turning around and letting it all hit me. A lot of it had to do with shame. A lot, a lot of it had to do with being ashamed, disappointing others, X, Y, and Z, and carrying all of that. And I've had similar realizations that it wasn't until I chose to turn around and look at all those things and realize that there will never be a time where I will outrun them 
in fact, if anything, and I don't know if this is, has been your experience as well, the more you go after the carrot, the more the back builds up it's and not. eventually it outweighs the carrot. Totally. Eventually it gets to the point where it's so heavy that it's just, you just tip, you tip over with it. And I think that's the thing. And I, I don't know. I don't know the ultimate reason why some people choose to face it and other people don't. I, I don't either. I love how you phrase it. Thank you for, for doing your work and being able to share it like that. I think that the greatest gift I have received is not the greatest gift. One of the greatest gifts was that I, I was very successful early on. So I, I was perceived financially, as, I'm assuming things like that. Yeah. In all, in all the, in all the things that you would normally consider societally successful. And so I became really good at the game of this realm of, of, of that are society values. And that forced me to start looking at different things earlier. That forced me to say, okay, if it's not here, then where is it? So when you ask, because, and I, and I have, I have a lot of friends who are, who are also incredibly successful and most are still going for this carrot. And the reality is that their bag shit does get heavier, but we become more, and more managers of our coping mechanisms to avoid the bag of shit. Yes. Whether it's binging whatever you want to binge or distractions of a kind or, and, and we, we promote that as, as sort of in our culture. It's like, oh, it's okay to just navigate around these inefficiencies, navigate around deeply feeling what you're running away from. And no matter how successful to your point, that bag of shit builds. So the sooner people can, and when you say who doesn't and who doesn't do it, I did it out of sheer defeat. I, it's not like I had the courage to say, okay, here I am. I'm going to now face it. It was almost like running away and then being so tired of running. Like, okay, whatever, have me. <laughs> and, mm. and, and that's a very different level of surrender than the surrender I had been taught by a lot of the spiritual and self-oriented self-growth circles, just just surrender, let it be. And, that was a very sort of graceful, beautiful, like, I can do that. I can surrender. No, no. The surrender where you're flat on your face, like, okay, kill me, is a very different level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think it, it's interesting that you bring up this point about being able to get to the point of awareness, right? And, and having that moment when enough is enough. And I, I think probably for every single person, it's going to be a different journey as far as what enough was enough for you probably slightly different from mine from the next person but i do genuinely believe that to a degree everyone knows when that moment is it's more so I, what do I'm, you do with it next i'm curious right and i love how you're framing it because i don't think it's ever enough see for the egoic mind it's never enough what can happen is that we can get to one of those moments where momentarily it feels like enough before, but then something else will kick in and there'll be something else to chase and it won't be enough, right? The search for more is programmed into our systems. So if we expect to get to a place where it's enough in order to stop, we'll never stop. But if we get to that place that you just mentioned, when momentarily it feels like we've arrived somewhere and we are capable of staying with the discomfort because, see, we don't like stagnation. 
our egos like progress, our egos like going somewhere, our egos like, so if you can sit in stillness in that moment where the discomfort arises out of arriving somewhere before the next new carrot comes in, there's incredible insights that can come out of that. Mm -hmm. And what I'm encouraging people is don't wait to get to your enough because I've been in huge mega yachts with people not feeling like it's enough, right? And I've been in, in with individuals that are incredibly economically limited and the sense of contentment they, that they exude. And I think that's probably an experience that we, we've all experienced at one point or another is incredible. So whether enough in the realm of money, enough in the realm of appreciation, of inner work, of even the way that it started channeling for me was, oh, no, I just want more balanced time, more time with my kids, more freedom, more. Those were just other versions of the same programming that were saying, oh, right now is not enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And look, I'll, I'll be honest, I experience elements of that probably as we speak, because <laughs> oftentimes I associated freedom with being whole. The challenge of being whole is that there's always going to be more, more to work on, right? There's always going to be areas to improve. And with those two things alone, you never get to a, a moment where it's perfect, where the work is complete. And I, I think what you're mentioning is it's very profound and it's interesting because it's different. And that's really how do you embrace the current moment as everything it is that you are looking for? instead of waiting for the next. And, and really, I think a lot of it also just reprogramming. Why does it, it have is. to be more? Why does it have to be less? What if yeah, this it, is all, I mean, really, it's, this is the ultimate truth, but I think it's sometimes a harder truth to really grasp. But really, this is all there is, period. Like this moment. But it, for some reason, and I'm curious to hear your perspective, I think it's become harder to grasp this or to really understand. And I don't know if it's because of our lived experience and somehow the lived experience just reaffirms that, well, there is going to be a tomorrow. There was a yesterday. But really, at the end of the day, like, this is it. Yesterday's, it, it's gone. You can't do anything about it. Isn't it crazy that it's so obvious and yet we <laughs> operate completely in opposition to that? Yes. With every decision, reality. every decision we make. It's incredible. And I, I like giving this analogy because I, I'm, very, I'm, I'm very much in the world. I'm, part of the reason why I wrote this book is because all of the books that I had written were written by gurus people that lived in monasteries. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they can, they can live in the now because they're in this sort of in ropes with people serving them food and they're, you know, they're not running multi-billion dollar deals and sort of having kids and having to pay taxes and mortgages. And so I used to think that it was impossible in the middle of the urban chaos of a modern life. And, and my invitation is that it is. And one of the, one of the ways that I describe it that we, we've all heard of the term sort of being in the flow or being in the zone. And maybe when you're meditating and you get into that place where all of a sudden something clicks, we're familiar with that experience, right? And 
how I like to talk about that experience is that normally we relate to life as me and life. And there's like this layer in between me and life where our commentary lives. This is where our opinions about what's happening reside in this middle layer. It's almost like an intermediary to the moment. I like it, I don't like it, more of this, less of this, what's happening shouldn't be happening, I need to get there. All of these things are happening in this layer. When we are in a moment of flow or in that meditative moment that you, that you shared, it's almost like this layer between us and life thins out. There's less commentating happening, less narration of what is actually happening. And we call that being in the moment. We call that being in the zone and the flow, whatever it is. In reality, what the only thing that's happening is we have ceased to classify the moment as good or bad or whatever it is that we we're trying to classify the moment as. When we are hiking, for example, on a hike or on a walk, sometimes we can get lost in the moment because we, this layer becomes very thin. If we were approaching hiking, like we approach most of our lives, like, oh, stepping here or not stepping here, moving to that rock, what if I go to the left, what if I go to the right, whatever, and it becomes so overwhelming, you, it'd be really difficult to enjoy this hike. So when we recognize that we can, this layer really can be thin, that's the experience I think that you're referencing when it's like, this is all that there is. And as a very mental individual, this is not metaphysical. This is not spiritual in nature. The now is very scientific. Like if, if I explore in my mind, even because you talked about tomorrow or yesterday, but even right now is being filtered by my inputs. The inputs being filtered by my by sensing organs, right? And then being processed and received in my brain and processed. So the story I'm creating about this moment is already, even if it's a nanosecond in the past. So if even this is a fabrication of that, and we know how easy it is to influence our minds, right? We, we can take a substance or anything and, and our reality is completely different. Then what is, what is true? Hmm. If everything is a story, that we're telling ourselves through our conditioning, our filters, our state of mind. And if we really let that sink in, if we can truly be curious enough to sit in that exploration for ourselves, the implications are incredible because what happened for me is that time as the canvas of my story dissolved. It lost its texture, its solidity. It's still there, but it stopped becoming the thing that defined everything. And my mind would say, yes, but if you do that, then how do you plan for tomorrow? That is, but then how are you gonna sit, be a couch potato? <laughs> and I've never been more engaged in the world. I've never been more active. I've never been doing more things. I'm really showing up and I'm showing up as if I was hiking. 
So I guess what I'm really inviting is that this paradigm that you're talking about that seems so challenging, if we can get really curious, like almost like scientists, there's, there's a whole other world on the other side of it. I don't even know where to begin. The, the place where I'll begin is this, as far as what I share in regard to what you just shared when it comes to time. So two weeks ago, I think going up to two and a half weeks, I stopped using the alarm clock. So I just literally, I've been wanting to experiment and try this for many, many years because I heard this three years ago. Three years ago, I was with a friend of mine and she was sharing with me how she stopped using the alarm clock. So she naturally wakes up when the body wakes up. And at the time, I was just like, this is crazy. There's no way you would be able to accomplish all the things that you want to accomplish. So I started doing it. And I've experienced all the things that you just mentioned. Ease, less stress. And even in being able to, quote unquote, measure the accomplishments, probably accomplish more. So it's really interesting. And I, in fact, I saw a post like this a couple of days ago. The person was mentioning how uh, his version of success was. And one of the things he mentioned was, I don't have a routine. I don't have an alarm clock. I don't have this. I don't have that. And I don't have any of the other things. And I'm still able to be successful. And I thought it was so interesting because you're right. Part of the world is so focused on a fixed way of doing things right and i'm and i'm curious one of the things that you also mentioned in being able to experience this type of lifestyle that you have today how does that apply to the let's say i'm only assuming but for anyone who's going to be listening the question is going to be like well what does that mean with when it comes to my finances what does that mean when it comes to paying over for the roof over my head paying for the food paying for x y and z what does that mean? What does this lifestyle mean to that? And how is it possible to be able to experience the life that you do while also still, whatever the word is, meeting some of these other things, meeting the basic needs? It goes back to the hiking analogy, right? Somebody would say, wait, but how do you get to the top? If you're not thinking whether you're going left or right at any given moment, how do you how do you stay safe if you're not overanalyzing every potential cliff that's around the bend, or if you don't take the time to know that it's going to be sunset by the time you get there if you if you don't do it in this pace and you have to step you know ten steps per every twenty seconds or otherwise it won't work and we are so used to approaching life in an overanalytical way certainly I was. And I was convinced that if I tried something different, everything would fall apart. Kind of like what you described, right? It's like, there's yeah. no way. That's going to happen. But I'm going to be totally unproductive. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want anyone to believe me or you. I, I encourage anyone to just test it out and test out little ways in which they can do this. I find myself in pretty significant groups of individuals. And I see how many business opportunities and how many things open up for me just because of my way of being. Mm. And we all feel that when someone has a contracted agenda, 
mm-hmm. around something, it feels contracted. When someone's attached to a particular outcome, it, it, it's pretty narrow. But when we're open, when we're really in that place of, I'm just going to show up as the best version of myself. I'm going to take full responsibility for how I am right now, as opposed to being a victim or poor me, which is where I spent a lot of my time blaming others or even judging myself for other things or, or playing small or hiding. It's like, if I truly show up the way I want to show up, life will mirror that. And I said, don't take my word for it. Just test it out. Give yourself 24 hours. See what that would be like. And be, be really patient with yourselves, right? Because it's, it's, it's totally counter-programming. Like if I don't control what's going to happen, then it's all going to get out of place. And the invitation is that life has a way of organizing and mirroring back how we are inside of ourselves. So if we focus on how we are inside of ourselves, the world, the world will show up that way. Mm-hmm. It's my experience. How do you think that impacts your habits or any, any of your behaviors? Do, do you think that your body has a natural way to behave things that are habitual to it, or are all those things influenced by previous experiences? A combination of those. I think they're, they're, I, I still carry a lot of that old programming, and I notice when it comes up, the difference is that my relationship to when it arises is very different. It's no longer an antagonistic relationship. I still have bad habits. I have, I'm so addicted to my phone, right? So I, I pick up my phone, and I, the difference is that prior to this, if I would do something like that, I would judge myself for it. And I would say, I have to change this habit. I did it again, but all the inner narrative that goes along with that bad habit, whatever that bad habit is, you choose it. But if, if, if I now recognize the awareness of doing something like that as a gift, it's like, oh, I'm aware that I'm doing this. Ah, it's something that's valuable for me to change. I mean, I become a lot more efficient at changing something when I'm not approaching it from a place of resistance. And the same goes with business, with colleagues, with relationships. See, the, the shift here is a shift from big no to life to a big yes to life. And the thing is that I used to think that a big yes to life mean, meant being complacent, meant sort of being, having no boundaries. And, and the reality is that when I had a big yes to life, my boundaries were huge, but just they were just boundaries in reaction, right? When somebody would overstep, I would react harshly. When I would, when something wouldn't work as I wanted to, I would react harshly. Now I'm so clear in what works and what doesn't work at any given moment that I can share with a relationship or a colleague or something. Hey, you know, we need to look at this. I can share with myself. Hey, you know, we're we're looking at our, our phone too much. Let's let's support ourselves and do something different. But it's no longer in opposition to. Hmm. How can people find out the book? Where can people connect with you? And do you have anything that's going on within your work that people can be a part of? Uh, I think my biggest encouragement is, is just get really curious. And, and, and if, if anything, just drop into your body the next time that you feel yourself stressed or upset. Breathe, feel where the energy's at, and ask those questions. What aspects, what color? Get curious with it. I, I have this book called The Mystery of You. Freedom is Closer Than You Think. 
and the, the website is emiliosbook.com. Uh, all proceeds go to the Contentment Foundation, which creates a curriculum for school children for well-being. And um, yeah, it's why just did, an offering. Why did you choose that? Why did you choose to give all the proceeds to that organization? It's very aligned with what I share in the book and what I think the greatest need is in, in our society, which is this reprogramming. And, uh, and I, I was, I'm one of the founders too. That's awesome. We'll make sure to, yeah, we'll make sure to include the link to the book, to the organization. But outside of that, I just want to thank you for this. Thank you for spending the, the moment while being in the moment. It, to me, it was very profound because I think, I'm not going to say it's natural, but I think it has been a tendency sometimes to think of the next moment, right? While being in the current one. And really realizing that like the only thing that that is available is right now, not the next meeting, not the next call, not the next deal, not the next this. All of those things are arbitrary. They may or may not happen. And the just only one last thing, thing. We have is here. Yeah, and one just last little comment on that: when we are thinking of the future, we're still in the moment. So if we can really let that sink in, it's like, oh, what does thinking of the future feel like? Because that moment, even if our mind is active, see, if we expect our mind to stop, it's never going to stop. It's what it does. But if we can redirect in that moment to experience what that feels like, then we're in the moment. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.